Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Saturday, March 4th, 2023. It's been 3,293 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 374 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Commands North, South, and East of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, we maintain that the Russian Federation armed forces are combat ineffective and are only capable of effective attacks on a small area of the front, such as Bakhmut. Second, we assess that Russia has committed almost all available ground forces to Ukraine and cannot maintain the current level of personnel and equipment losses. Third, We maintain that the public infighting between private military company or PMC Wagner Group's leader Yevgeny Prigozhin and the Russian Ministry of Defense is fomenting unrest. There is a very small but notable chance that the ongoing provocations could spark Russian-on-Russian violence. Fourth, we maintain that the Russian Ministry of Defense is actively working to eliminate the influence of PMC Wagner and Yevgeny Prigozhin both on and off the battlefield. Fifth, we maintain that Russia can no longer tap its strategic reserve of caliber cruise missiles and can only launch its monthly production of 25 to 30 missiles, with fewer than 30 caliber cruise missiles used for strikes on Ukrainian targets each month in December, January, and February. Sixth, we assess that the Russian military has abandoned its effort to destroy Ukraine's electrical, heating, and potable water infrastructure due to a lack of precision munitions and an inability to destroy more than 50% of electrical generation and transmission capacity. Seventh, we maintain that there is a risk of a nuclear accident caused by the de-energization of Ukrainian nuclear power plants as a result of Russian electrical infrastructure destruction especially with Russian forces near Enerhodar repeatedly shelling the 330-kilovolt power lines in the Nikopolrayon. Eighth, we maintain that the rhetoric being spread by the Kremlin and its proxies in the social media space, claiming that Ukraine is preparing an unprovoked and unjustified invasion of Transnistria, is untrue. And finally, we maintain that the Kremlin is actively attempting to topple the legitimate government of Moldova. Let's get some regional updates, starting with Kharkiv. The Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, reported continued fighting for the control of Masyutivka. Further south, 
Mercenary mill blogger Rybar claimed that Ukrainian forces had launched an offensive on Liman Pirshi. In the Kupiansk operational area, the Russian MOD reported fighting in Pershotrabneve, while Rybar reported Ukraine had launched an offensive on Orlyansk. The Kharkiv Oblast administrative and military governor, Ole Sinyubov, reported, quote, On the contact line, our military reliably holds its positions, end quote. And there were no reports of territorial control changes by the Russian MOD or Rybar. Moving on to the Donbass region in Luhansk. The Svatova operational direction remains stable. The Russian MOD reported fighting around Novoselivsk, but did not make any claims of new territorial control. Luhansk Oblast administrative and military governor Serhii Khaidai reported that a column of Russian armored vehicles in Svatova came under fire overnight and was destroyed. While no evidence was provided, the Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, Joint Center for Control and Coordination, or JCCC, reported that Svatova was heavily shelled by grad rockets fired by multiple launch rocket systems, or MLRS, and 155-millimeter artillery. The intensity of fighting in the Kremina operational area significantly decreased after Russian forces rotated troops, moving some units to the Donbass and replacing them with Mobiks. Positional fighting continued near Ploshanka and Makivka, with no change in the situation. We did move the line of conflict west of Chervanopopivka, based on highly reliable reports from a trusted contact. Governor Haidai said Russian forces were, quote, storming our positions near Kremina, but with light infantry attacks, end quote. No other source reported significant fighting in the area. Some assessment. With the recent troop rotation and Mobik units refusing to fight for the LNR, we'll talk more about this in a bit, we can't assess whether this is an operational pause, a delay in offensive operations due to personnel issues, or if the large-scale offensive that started in late January has reached a culmination point. It is now the 300th day of fighting for control of Milohorivka, the one in Luhansk, with Russian forces attacking throughout the day. There was still no change to the line of conflict. In northeast Donetsk, in the Siversk operational area, the Second Army Corps of the LNR renewed attacks on eastern Spirna, suffered heavy losses, and retreated to their defensive positions. In the Solidar operational area, PMC Wagner continued attacks on Rozdolivka, Vasyukivka, and Zaleznyanske. The Ukrainian 93rd Mechanized Infantry Brigade, however, maintained its defensive lines. Some assessment here. In the Bakhmut operational area, we assess that Ukrainian forces are setting conditions for a controlled fighting withdrawal. There is significant evidence that Ukrainian troops are preparing to pull out of the east bank of the Bakhmutovka River. The fighting has moved to the northern arc, with Ukrainian forces protecting the last paved road between Chasivyar and the city, the T-506 highway. Russian forces shelled a small bridge that crosses a creek in the village of Khromova, setting off preset demolition charges. There is a way to bypass the bridge across an earthen dam with a dirt road just to the west. 
Two senior Ukrainian commanders have gone to Bakhmut in the last 24 hours, indicating that reports that the T-506 highway ground line of communication, called a G-lock, that's a supply line, is severed or the bridge being destroyed has made it impassable, are untrue. In contrast, BMC Wagner Group leader Yevgeny Prigozhin has made multiple videos implying he is in Bakhmut, recorded from the same location in the center of Paraskovievka, six kilometers from the line of conflict. Most reporters have been barred from Chasivyar, and civilians who ignored the August 6, 2022 evacuation orders have started to leave. Adding to the fog of war, we continue to get information about Ukrainian units preparing to rotate into Bakhmut. We can't assess if or when Ukrainian forces will fully withdraw from Bakhmut, but note that the situation is extremely fluid and could change rapidly. PMC Wagner continued its attacks in the direction of Orikhovo-Vasilivka, and the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported an attack in the direction of Ryurivka was repulsed. Quick assessment. There were no other reports of attacks in this direction. We believe this was a squad or platoon-sized reconnaissance unit that moved through the tree lines from the Birkhivska Reservoir. Russian forces increased pressure on Ukrainian defenders in Dubovo-Vasilivka, with the settlement under continuous attack. A geolocated video showed a platoon of Russian troops being eliminated by artillery due south of the settlement. Based on the new intelligence, we expanded the gray zone because there was no evidence that Russian forces could hold the position. Northeast of Bohdanivka, intense fighting was ongoing, with PMC Wagner and Russian troops attempting to push through Ukrainian defense to the T-506 highway G-lock. Russian source Rybar wrote, quote, The armed forces of Ukraine are putting up fierce resistance, trying to maintain control over the arms supply through Khromova, end quote. In eastern Bakhmut, Ukrainian forces blew up the railroad bridge over the Bakhmutovka River that connected the main train station to the industrial district. Another video showed that PMC Wagner forces had secured school number 10, a kilometer and a half east of the Bakhmutovka River, and west of the ponds that divide the industrial district from the residential quarter. We adjusted the line of conflict, with Russian forces advancing two blocks west. As a quick note, our map is more pessimistic than the most recent map released by PMC Wagner, which shows the T-504 highway to the gas station at the M3 or E-40 junction as contested. PMC Wagner head Prigozhin made an appeal from his favorite rooftop in Paraskovievka for Ukrainian forces to withdraw, stating they were, quote, practically surrounded and only had access to one remaining road. Despite the claim, Colonel General Oleksandr Sirsky, commander of the ground forces of the armed forces of Ukraine and commander of the eastern group of the armed forces of Ukraine, visited the units defending the city of Bakhmut yesterday. While we were preparing today's report, Viktor Khorenko, commander of the Special Operations Forces of Ukraine, also visited Bakhmut. He spoke with field commanders about the situation in the combat areas and, quote, worked out a number of urgent issues regarding the provision and organization of the work, end quote, of units of the Special Operations Forces. 
Fighting continued north of Ivangrad and near the Mariupol Cemetery, with no change in the situation. South of Bakhmut in the Kostyantanivka operational direction, fighting on the outskirts of Ivanivska continued, with Ukrainian forces holding their defensive lines. After reviewing a geolocated video showing Russian forces being attacked in eastern Bilahora, we've coded the settlement as contested and recorded the first advance west of the Siversky-Donetsk-Donbass Canal. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at malcontentnews. Moving on to southwest Donetsk, the Russian Ministry of Defense continues to transfer Russian Mobics to the 1st Army Corps as, quote, volunteer militia of the Donetsk People's Republic and use them to push offensives on Avdiivka while suffering catastrophic losses. Attacks by 1st Army Corps units supplemented by ill-trained Mobics continued sending waves of light infantry toward the Krasnohorivka Plateau and attempting to cross the H-20 highway east of Kamyanka. The 132nd Brigade of the 1st Army Corps is engaged in the fighting. The unit was deployed to the Vukhladar operational area earlier this week and was supposed to be part of an imminent attack on the mining town using reconstituted forces. The Russian VKS continues to drop FAB 250 and FAB 500 bombs on the coke factory and surrounding residential areas in Avdiivka. An Su-34 multi-role fighter was shot down near Yenikyeve, about 34 kilometers east of Avdiivka and 20 kilometers from the line of conflict. Initial reports from Russian sources were that the plane experienced a mechanical failure and the aircrew ejected safely. It was later reported that the airplane might have been shot down by friendly fire. Finally, there was an admission the airplane was downed by an S-300 anti-aircraft missile fired by Ukraine. An additional video showed that the parachute didn't open for one of the aircrew members who was killed, and the other person is reportedly severely injured. Quick assessment, the Su-34 was flying with an escort aircraft at a surprisingly high altitude, given how air defense dense eastern Ukraine is. It's unclear if the Su-34 aircraft was part of the bombing attacks on Avdiivka or flying a different mission. In a cell phone call, members of the Russian 1439th Regiment Military Unit 95380 from Irkutsk appealed to their family members that Ukrainian forces had them surrounded between Opitne and Avdiivka with no way to break out. The soldiers claim their commanders have abandoned them, their requests for artillery support are being ignored, and they have no potable water or rations. Additionally, they say the DNR so-called volunteer unit they were assigned to has been reconstituted six times and sent into repeated, quote, suicidal attacks. The same unit recorded an appeal on March 1st, claiming their battalion was almost, quote, completely destroyed, and that the 1st Army Corps of the DNR had fired on their positions from infantry fighting vehicles to, quote, motivate them to move forward. In a video appeal to Russian President Vladimir Putin, the Mobiks, who arrived in Ukraine on December 31, 2022, said, quote, 
communications, sappers, reconnaissance have been sent to slaughter. Command told us directly that we are expendable and that the only chance we have of returning home is getting injured. We do not know the names and ranks of the commanders as they do not tell us. There is no point in contacting the local military prosecutor's office as they are in full collusion with the commanders of the 1st Slavic Brigade. Soldiers of the battalions of Regiment 1439 have already made two appeals before us. End quote. Quick sidebar. From January 15th to February 25th, we've recorded over 40 Russian armored vehicles destroyed north of Opitne due to repeated poorly planned attacks that appear to follow the same routes and use the same tactics. Elements of the 1st Army Corps, supported by Mobix, continued to push west out of Vodiana along the northern edge of Pervomaiske, and geolocated video showed that progress had been made. Like the repeated attacks from Opitne, Russian forces are suffering catastrophic losses of personnel and armored vehicles. Mercenaries with Wargonzo reported attacks on the Ukrainian firebase at Nevelsky continued. In the Marinka operational area, Fighting in the center of Marinka and east of Pobida continued, with no change in the situation. The Russian MOD reported that Russian troops continued attacks on Vukhlidar. Southwest of Vukhlidar in Volodymyrivka, Russians lost another 2S4 Tulpan 24mm self-propelled mortar. Near Vukhlidar, a video showed a squad of Russian troops trying to advance under the cover of night hit by artillery, rendering the unit combat-destroyed. An analysis of data from the Oryx database showed that Russian forces suffered the worst combat losses of armor since March 2022. From January 26th to February 7th, 57 main battle tanks, or MBTs, 69 infantry fighting vehicles, or IFVs, Seven pieces of engineering equipment, including two UR-77 meteorite mine-clearing vehicles, and five Kamaz or other heavy trucks. If I mathed properly, that's a total of 137 vehicles in two weeks. The armored vehicle losses are equivalent to 11 completely destroyed companies, almost four battalions. Through the lens of combat power, the Russian MOD had two brigades combat-destroyed. It'll take Russia three months just to replace the tanks. In Zaporizhia, rotation of the International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA, inspectors at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant occurred, with three new inspectors arriving in Enerhodar. This is the sixth group of monitors stationed at the plant since September 1, 2022. IAEA Director General Rafael Grossi thanked Ukraine and Russia for breaking the impasse, but added, quote, The precarious nuclear safety and security situation was highlighted again yesterday when the ZNPP's only remaining 330 kilovolt backup power line was disconnected for a third time in less than a week, likely because of shelling on the other side of the Dnipro River, end quote. Russian collaborator and occupied Zaporizhia administrator Vladimir Rogov falsely accused Ukraine of shelling Enerhodar and causing the outage. Twelve and a half kilometers southwest of ZNPP, 
a Russian Hyacinth B-152mm howitzer that had been firing on Nikopol was destroyed by Ukrainian drone-directed counter-battery fire. On March 2nd, an S-300 anti-aircraft missile used for a ground attack hit a five-story apartment building in Zaporizhia, obliterating the structure. At the time of recording, search-and-rescue operations continued, with 11 found dead and more wounded. The acting governor of occupied Zaporizhia, Gao Leiter Yevgeny Balitsky, declared that the capital of Zaporizhia had been officially moved to Melitopol, and Berdyansk and Enerhodar are, quote, cities of significance. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, Operational Command South, or OCS, reported 13 Black Sea Fleet vessels on patrol, including two Kilo-class submarine missile carriers capable of launching six-caliber cruise missiles. Russia denies there was a successful Ukrainian drone attack on Yeysk airfield on March 1st, but according to satellite images secured by Radio Liberty, six Su-34 aircraft stationed at the base were removed. There's no evidence that any aircraft were damaged, with Russia likely choosing to relocate the planes to a base further away. Massive lines for the Kerch Strait Ferry, to the tune of 286 vehicles, have caused another two-day backlog. According to the Russian Ministry of Transport, quote, the priority is given to vehicles of the Ministry of Defense, followed by refrigerators with perishable products, followed by food products that do not require special temperature conditions for transportation, and non-food essentials are last, end quote. In Russian-occupied Crimea, Russian forces continue to build vast networks of defensive fortifications. Satellite images showed networks of trenches built into the beaches, tank scrapes, and redoubts in Yevpatoria. In Mykolaiv, the coastal town of Ochakiv was heavily shelled from the Kinburn Spit, with artillery and grad rockets fired by MLRS, damaging homes, apartment buildings, and a school. In western and central Ukraine, in Kherson, Russian and Ukrainian forces traded artillery strikes across the Dnipro River. Russia executed 70 fire missions, firing almost 460 artillery rounds, mortars, and rockets across Kherson, including four strikes on the city, killing one and wounding ten. In the village of Tomarinne near Bereslav, a 33-year-old farmer was killed when Russian artillery targeted his tractor as he started preparing fields for spring planting. On the east bank of the Dnipro, Russian-occupied Tavriska was shelled. OCS reported two Russian forward operating bases were destroyed in Oleshki, and an ammunition depot in Khachovka was also destroyed. In Dnipropetrovsk, the Nikopol Rayon was heavily shelled again, hit with over a hundred artillery shells and grad rockets striking Marchanets and Mirove. More than 30 buildings were damaged, along with a gas pipeline and the 330-kilovolt power lines in eastern Marchanets. In north and northeast Ukraine, in the Sumy Oblast, the Hromadars of Shalekhin, Krasnopilia, Bilopilia, Esmen, Khluchiv, and Yunakove were hit by a combination of artillery shells, mortars, grad rockets, drone-delivered IEDs, indirect tank fire, and anti-tank missiles. 
In the village of Stadikova, shrapnel from an artillery strike instantly killed a 73-year-old pensioner who was working in his garden. On the Russian front, a fire broke out near the Russian Air Force Flight School in Krasnodar. Area residents reported hearing, quote, pops, but there was no other information. Pictures and videos clearly show a significant fire, and as usual, we do link to those pictures and videos in our full situation report on Patreon. Russian President Vladimir Putin held an emergency meeting with the Security Council of the Russian Federation where the topic was anti-terrorism security. After the closed-door session, the readout did not indicate the cross-border raid on Bryansk was discussed. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. A drone video released by partisans from Belarus allegedly shows a drone landing and detonating on the A-50U in Belarus. Russia insists the aircraft was undamaged and released a video clip of an A-50U flying earlier in the week. However, today, when MiG-31Ks took off from Belarus, they did not have command and control support from the AWACS aircraft. And that's what we know. Join me again on Monday for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.